gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. Young Ali strode onwards through the dwindling woods, as her elven friend staggered behind. There was blood everywhere, on her clothes, in her hair. Ali feared Trenia would die. You're listening to Ali Odds and the Ali Odd Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 14, Wounds. The last blush of the eclipse was peeling away from the moon when I realized I was walking alone. I whipped around, scanning the darkened woods for Trenia, and I sighed with relief when the faint glow of her chest came bobbing through the trees some fifty yards behind on the path. Doused by a stream of moonlight that pierced the canopy, Trenia's weary form was visible as she swayed, stumbled, and fell against a maple trunk. I hobbled over to her, and my stomach dropped when I saw her face. Her expression said everything she wouldn't. She was in excruciating pain. It's getting worse, isn't it? No! Ah! I'm fine! Keep going! I'll catch up! No, no. You need a break. We both do. Mindful of my broken arm, I slid off my pack and rested against an alder. Let's break once we clear the woods. Let's break now. Here. I held out my water skin, and she took it without argument. We were at least a mile north of Beleth by then, still some six miles south of Herodelth. We had run for an hour before slowing our pace, and that one hour had taken the toll of twelve, what with our respective ailments. My ribs and arm throbbed, and my head felt like a shattered vase. In the light of the moon, I could see the broken end of the arrow shaft projecting from Trenia's chest, just below her left collarbone. Her fine tunic and cloak glistened with blood. Blood that somewhat muffled the brightness of the magical markings that shone out from her breast. Markings that had appeared beneath Theron's hand when he touched her there and uttered, Kinslayer. Theron. He was dead. Trinia killed him. She jumped in front of an arrow that was meant for me, and, and she killed him. She saved me, and he was dead. The image of Theron's final sinister smile barged into my mind. I shook it away and returned my thoughts to Trenia. Her breath was heavy and ragged. Sweat speckled her forehead, and even in the dim light, I could tell her face was pale. She had lost a lot of blood. She didn't look like she could keep going much longer. She caught me examining her, and my expression gave away how worried I was. I look that bad. Yes. Trenia's mouth curved into a hollow lie of a smile. The kind of smile made to protect people from the truth. I'll be fine. This, more than anything, confirmed how serious her injury was. Let's make sure of it, shall we? Come on. I repacked my water skin, grabbed her right arm with my left, and led her on through the darkened woods. With every step, I felt Trinia lean more heavily on my arm, and by the time we'd walked another mile, she was unable to support her own weight. I wrapped her good arm around my neck and shouldered as much of her muscled bulk as I could. And I gotta tell ya, elven warriors make for poor rucksacks. For another hour, we walked in silence. When we took a break, we took it in silence. The aches in our bodies were too loud for anything else to be said, as were the memories of what else had passed that night. 
But I, I couldn't think of them. I couldn't think of the way Theron's eyebrows twisted when he looked up at his sister as she withdrew her sword from his chest. Of how blood had soaked through his shirt like ink through parchment. Oh, that sinister smile as the light faded from his eyes. No! No! No, I couldn't think of that. No, I, I had to figure out how to save Trenia. I didn't know how to remove an arrow or treat the wound. I couldn't help her. We needed a real healer. And there was only one that I personally knew of nearby. It would mean taking Trenia to the last place she would ever want to go. But if it would save her life... I roused her. She had nearly fallen asleep as she'd rested upon a downed tree. Come on, Trenia. On your feet. What? Why? You need a healer. She looked up at me like a child awakened from their nap, confused and delirious. A, a healer? Where? I pretended not to hear her question, helped her to her feet, and once again shouldered the weight she couldn't manage, which, at that point, was almost all of it. We slogged on this way for another mile or two before Trenia collapsed. Her forehead was cold and sweat-stricken, and she muttered incoherently in Norvangan as tears rolled down her cheeks. Oh, Ilatolka! Oh, Ilatolka! No matter what I did, I couldn't get Trenia back to her feet. She was too weak. I didn't have means, light, or working limbs enough to make a litter, so I unfastened Trenia's fancy cloak, rolled her onto it, and dragged her behind me, praying the finely spun Aldoth wouldn't tear as she scraped across roots and rocks on the trail. She was silent for the most part, but every now and again, the cloak would slide in a way that bumped her shoulder, and she would cry out in pain. Then she would return to mumbling in Norvangan, before drifting off into silence once more. Muti! Muti! Suleth cry ho cry muti! Sure, Mooty, yeah, yeah. Say whatever you want, just stay with me. And so it was that I dragged a babbling, blood-soaked elf through the woods of southern Harrowdelf. Golly, it seemed that every time I found myself stumbling out of a forest for whatever reason, I upped the ante for the most uncomfortable experience of my life. This voyage handily topped my other trudges. I... I honestly don't know how I did it. The wounds I suffered in Joe and Graham's lair smarted as much as they had five nights past when I received them, and with Trenia added to the mix, it took twice the effort to move half as far. My hand cramped from gripping the cloak, and my one good arm was gradually replaced with lead as I hauled my friend behind me. But the constant fear that Trenia might die if I didn't find help kept me going, despite the pain. Nothing mattered besides taking the next step. I don't know how long I'd been dragging her, when the trees disappeared. Then the stars dissolved. And then the moon, yes, the full moon, went out. All noise, all thoughts, all sensations faded, and I found myself dragging Trenia through a long tunnel carved out of shadow. The walls, if you could call them that, were utter darkness. There was nothing to see, not even a glittering light pulling me towards an exit, just deep and unfathomable darkness. As I walked, I tried to remember a world outside of this tunnel. But I couldn't. What else could there be besides this darkness? Where staying alive was as much as one could ask. I trudged along with unseeing eyes, believing that as long as I kept going, as long as I stayed alive, everything would be okay. I had to believe that. I had to. Eventually, the tunnel gave way to several blurry, floating spheres of light, and for a moment, I feared I had somehow brought us back to the bubble-lit canopy of the Lothro Inn. 
But no. I rubbed my eyes, and the blurry spheres focused into lanterns. Lanterns hanging from buildings. Buildings that were part of a village. A village? Who in the heck had put a village in the middle of the woods? Wait, I was out of the woods. <gasps> Harrowdelph! The sight of it rekindled my conscience, and in the roaring light of wakefulness, I remembered what I was doing there. Oh, Trenia, we made it! I turned around to see her reaction, but she was silent and still. A bolt of panic flashed through my body. Trenia? Oh, gods! Had she died while I was dragging her through the tunnel? I mean, woods? I rushed to her side and put a hand to her face. She was cold. But not dead. Her chest rose in the faintest of breaths. Her pulse was a whisper. The healer! She needed the healer right away! I picked up the now sweaty and wrinkled hem of her cloak and dragged her towards the Harrow Hall Inn. Honestly, it's a good thing she was unconscious, because if she knew where I was taking her, she might have killed... Well, she wouldn't have liked it. It was late. Not a single person could be seen on the streets. Most of the houses had their shutters drawn, and no lights could be seen inside the homes that didn't. When we arrived at the Harrow Hall Inn, I was heartened to see the lanterns astride the front door still flickering with light, but when I pulled on the handle, the bolt clanged in its socket. Locked. I raised a fist to bang on the door, but I paused before my knuckles hit. Trenia wouldn't be the only one upset about her being at the Harrow Hall Inn. Quinn. Oh, crying Calendula. I'd forgotten about him. I had no idea what he would do if he saw Trenia. He was the only person in Harrowdelf who knew about her forbidden relationship with Laurel. And I knew he blamed her for ruining his dreams of marrying Laurel and growing old with her beneath the wooden beams of the Harrow Hall. This would hurt him. Trenia's presence certainly would hurt him. But so too would the fact that she was my friend. And that she had been when he poured out his heart to me on the stone bridge above the river. I dragged Trenia to the side of the inn and peered through an unshuttered window. Oh, gods. Yep, there he was, hanging clay mugs on their hooks behind the counter. The dining room was empty aside from Quinn, and he whistled a quiet tune to himself as he finished up the closing chores. His gait was comfortable and carefree as he replaced the last of the mugs and wiped down the counter with a rag, and he seemed genuinely content with his life. Which he hadn't when I first met him. Oh... I looked down at Trenia on her bloodstained cloak, then back in the hall at Quinn. I'm sorry, Quinn. Just one moment. I heard Quinn's footsteps and the lock on latching, and no sooner had I stepped back from the door than it swung open, and I saw Quinn's warm face glowing in the lantern light. Allie! Quinn, I need your help. What happened? Are you alright? Was it Joe and Graham again? I looked down at my hands and clothing and realized I was covered in blood, sweat, and dirt. Oh. Uh, no, no, I I'm fine, mostly. It's, um, um, it's... Uh... Come in, come in, and you can tell all. No, no, I, I don't have time to explain. Please, get your mother. It's urgent. My friend is dying, and she needs a healer. She needs help now! Your friend? Who is she? Quinn looked behind me, trying to gain sight of my wounded companion. But I grabbed him by the shoulders and locked his gaze onto mine. Quinn, I am so sorry, but please, don't ask questions. There's no time. I swear I'll explain. Just get your mother, please. Now. Now! Go! Quinn did as I asked and ran off. I staggered back to Trenia, re-gripped the cloak where the edge had crinkled into a handle, and dragged her inside the Harrow Hall Inn. I had nearly pulled her to the bar when Quinn rushed in from a hallway, 
followed closely by Kilia, who wore a simple nightgown, a woolen shawl, and was buckling a small leather satchel around her waist. They drew near to Trenia, and froze when they recognized her face. What? Her? Oh my dear! Is that sweet Absalon elf? You remember the one, Quinn, don't you? Oh, he remembered all right. I watched as his jaw clenched, as his hands curled into fists, and his brown face paled. His eyes darkened like snuffed candles, and he stood silently beside his mother and this most accursed elf, frozen by shock and rage. I ached to think that this pain was my fault, but if it meant saving Trenia... Gracious, what happened? She shot through like a pheasant! It's a long story. She was shot several hours ago, and we've come many miles since then. Can you help her? Well, if I can, I best do so in a hurry. Let's get her into the back room. Come on, you two. Kilia took Trenia's good arm, and I gathered up her legs with a cloak. But Quinn remained frozen. Kilia swatted his leg. Well, don't just stand there. Give us a hand. Poor Allie has only got one working arm, and I'm your dear old mother. Use what strength you were given, boy. Quinn didn't budge and continued staring at Trenia like she had popped out of a distant nightmare. Quinn, I promise I'll explain, I said, hoping to release him from his darkness. But he kept on staring at Trenia. I could see him trying to suss out just how the two of us were involved. I could see him debating on whether or not he should tell his mother exactly what this elf had done and have her tossed out on the streets. I could see his trust in me breaking. I could see his curtains closing. Quinn, I'm sorry, but she's dying. Please. He looked up at me, and his indignant expression burned into the most tender places of my heart. Perhaps he was reluctant to explain who Trenia really was to his mother, or perhaps Trenia's vulnerable state pulled on the ever-winding thread in his spirit that empathized with suffering, even the suffering of his worst enemy. Either way, Quinn eventually stepped forward and lifted Trenia into his arms. Ah, that's my Quinn! See how strong he is, Ellie! A girl count herself lucky to be carried around like so, minus the arrow, of course. Quinn and I were both too far gone in our own thoughts to be embarrassed by his mother's matchmaking, and quickly ushered Trenia into the room behind the bar. A large cob oven, several bags filled with produce and grain, and a sizable cooking spit against the wall informed me it was the kitchen. There, Kilia cleared off the wooden table in the center of the room. Quinn rested Trenia upon it, right side down, so the arrow wouldn't be disturbed, then stood by in a daze. Kilia threw several logs onto the fire and washed her hands in a small basin. Over her shoulder, she spoke to Quinn. Boil some rags, dear, and fetch me some garlic. From that braid Mrs. Poole dropped off the other week. Aye, that should do. Once more, Quinn did not move. The anger and torment was clear on his face now, but Kilia was too busy to notice. Bless the moon, boy! What's wrong with you? Rags! Water! Boil them! And don't forget the garlic! Once more, Quinn overcame his rage and left the room to do his mother's bidding, shaking his head in frustrated disbelief. Meanwhile, Kilia lit a candle and handed it to me. Hold this as close as you can, dear, but mind you don't drip. She don't need any more pain from the look of it. I took the candle and held it beside Trenia's head. The light called her out from her murky depths, and for a brief moment, Trenia's eyes opened into narrow slits. I smiled so wide, my cheeks squeezed out all the tears I'd been holding back. Trenia! Ali, hey, hey! I found help! Hang in there, okay? Stay with me. Hi, Betheldo, right? Hi, Betheldo! Umkara! Ali, Umkara! Sure, yeah, yeah, Umkara. I'm here. Quinn walked back into the room then. He set a pot full of water and rags over the fire and handed a head of garlic to his mother. 
Trinia's already pale face blanched still further when she saw him, and her eyes filled with fright. It's okay, Trinia, I said. You're safe now, I hoped. I turned to Quinn, whose expression was now vacant, as if the him of him had left the room. Hopefully that meant the him that was still with us would keep his mouth shut. Kilia set the head of garlic aside and pulled forth a small vial from her waist pouch. Open up, dear, for the pain. Trenia's lips quivered, but she managed to open her mouth long enough for Kilia to pour in a dark liquid. She slipped out of consciousness a few seconds later. Next, Kilia cut through Trenia's tunic with a knife. Blood had congealed and hardened the garment into a thick, crusty layer, and we all gasped when Kilia peeled the fabric away from her chest. What on earth? The markings on Trenia's chest beamed a bright, pale white, like someone had carved a symbol into her flesh with starlight. I saw now that the markings were of a flattened hand, surrounded by decorative swirls of crawling ivy and wilted flowers. Several lines, like squiggly writing, radiated out from the center of the palm in a spiral, and on the pad of each fingertip, there was a symbol that looked like a rune. It was Theron's hand. Of that I had no doubt. Ugh, a curse! A real-life curse with magical markings to boot! Quinn, Kilia, and I all looked at the markings in wonder. But we were reminded of our work when Trinia coughed, awoke from the pain it caused, and began crying and moaning. Oh, poor thing! Kilia helped Trinia take several long pulls from my water skin and turned her attention to the arrow. She studied where it entered below Trinia's collarbone, and where the arrow had jutted out from her back, just between her shoulder blade and spine. Kilia listened closely to Trinia's breath, and gave a solemn nod. I don't know what gods the elves pray to, but this one best sing their praises. From the look of it, the arrow missed her lung. Lucky it didn't hit any bones either, else that tip wouldn't be pointing out. She's going to be okay? Too soon to say. But she's got more chance than she might have. Mind you, I I'm not a real surgeon, and there's none to be found round here without several days waiting. But we've got to get that shaft out, which means blood. Kilia ran a hand along Trenia's forehead and stroked her cheek like a child. Hopefully she's got enough left to make it through. She saw my stricken expression. We'll do what we can. Kilia peeled several cloves of garlic and mashed them into a paste with a mortar and pestle. She added several spoonfuls of water, dipped one of the boiled rags into the mixture, and gently cleaned Trenia's skin around both ends of the projecting arrow. Trenia had fallen unconscious again, and, thankfully, did not stir. Quinn brought Kilia two more boiled rags, and she doused them in pungent oils from her leather waste bag. Kilia caught the question in my eye. All from her, yes, though not all from Bileth. Cinnamon, a coagulant. Pantheri, for inflammation. And dye root, for infection. Dye root? Aye, the one that turns the cloth yellow. Makes a good tonic as well. Here, now, Quinn, Quinn, you come behind her here and take this cloth, and when I... Quinn! Snap out of it, boy! I swear I don't know what's got into you tonight! Take this cloth and be ready to stanch the blood once the arrow's out. Now, Allie, hold her steady. She's not sleeping through this. I held Trinia's shoulder and watched as Kilia gripped the arrowhead and drew a deep breath. Delicately, she pulled on the shaft, and Trinia's eyes opened wide. Ah! Goodness, we'll wake the hole in! Oh, Quinn, grab us another rag, eh? I knelt down so that I was face to face with Trinia. I squeezed her hand and held her gaze. You're doing so well, Trinia. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. You won't leave. No, I won't leave you. I'm not going anywhere. Her face bore such a medley of innocence 
trust, grief, and fear. It brought me to tears. Kilia pushed a cloth between Trenia's teeth. Bite down on this, dear. Good. Now, take a deep breath in. Trenia and I breathed in together as Kilia regripped the arrowhead, our eyes locked. And a deep breath out. <laughs> Kilia yanked out the arrow and immediately pressed one of the oiled rags to the wound, which flowed anew with blood. With matching speed, Quinn stanched the tear in her back. Trenia shook on the table, her entire body humming with pain, her tears flowing freely onto the wooden boards where they mingled with her blood. Kilia had Quinn take over the cloth she had pressed firmly against Trenia's chest and withdrew a needle and thread from her waist pouch. She passed the thread through the eye and once again handed me the candle. Shine it there, love. Your friend'll thank you for helping me see what I'm doing. Trenia was squeezing my hand so tightly my fingers turned purple and I had to pry myself loose from her grip to grab the candlestick. I held it close to her face so that it could illuminate her chest, careful not to drip wax onto her or the table. As Kilia's needle dove in and out of Trenia's skin, I noticed Trenia staring unblinkingly at the candle before her face. She was completely mesmerized by the flame. Its orange-white light flickered and stretched, burning clean and steady and gentle. It was the only bright thing visible to her in the darkened room, and Trenia focused on it as if her own life was bound to its flame. It stayed bright, thankfully, and so did she, watching, watching the flame as Kilia practiced her craft. When Quinn took the candle so Kilia could stitch up her back, Trenia's eyes fell shut, and I panicked, afraid they might never open again. But with a calm voice, Kilia said, Let it be. A healer's hands only do half the work. She must do the rest. And so it was that Kilia stitched Trenia's wounds, cleaned and bound them in oiled cloth, covered her with a blanket, and left her to rest on the kitchen table of the Harrow Hall Inn. When all was finished, Quinn set the candle down on the counter, and I cupped Trenia's face in my hand. Her breath was faint, and her pulse was weak, but she was still alive. With that comfort, I finally had the energy to feel my exhaustion. I pulled up a chair beside Trenia and congealed to it as soon as my butt hit the seat. Kilia gathered her supplies, and Quinn washed his hands in the basin and headed for the door. I called out to him, Quinn. He paused in the doorway, but he didn't turn around. Thank you, I said. His jaw tightened in a quick flash. He nodded his head and departed. Kilia pulled up a chair beside me, sat down, and gave a deep sigh of relief. Ah, her patient was stable. Her work was through, or so I thought. That blood on your shirt is hers, I hope. Or should I keep my needle out? No, I'm fine. I mean, everything hurts, but... I'm fine. Sure you are. Let's have a look at that arm. Can we do it tomorrow? I'm really tired. Today has been... Several memories flashed through my mind as I spoke. Theron dead. Theron blood. Glowing marks. Theron dead. Darkness. Tunnel. Darkness. Arrow. Trenia tears. So much pain. Tears. Quinn. Tunnel. Dead. Kilia rose and held out her hand. Let's get you upstairs, dear. There's an open room all made and ready. I can treat your arm while you rest. Come along. No, no, thank you, but I've got to stay with Trenia. What, and sleep in that chair? If there's nothing else, yes. I promised her I wouldn't leave. Kilia eyed me, then nodded. I'll be right back. She left for a moment, 
and returned with several sheepskins and a couple blankets, which she arrayed on the floor beside the fire. I squeezed Trenia's hand before letting go, and pressed my brow to hers. I'm not going anywhere, okay? I'll be right down there if you need me. I know she couldn't hear me, but I felt that she understood. I tried to rise to my feet, and found it to be way too much effort, so I kind of slump-kneeled out of the chair and rolled onto the bed Kilia had arranged. She lifted my arm to unbind the wrappings, which didn't feel good. But, like Trenia, I found myself mesmerized by the candle flickering on the darkened countertop as she worked. It really was beautiful. I watched its bouncing flame for a moment before falling into a deep slumber. I trusted Kilia to do her half of the healing. Now it was time for me to do mine. Even though there's darkness around the candle, focus on the flame. Even though there might be fear and doubt, you don't have to be afraid. Should you find yourself wounded and bleeding, don't focus on the pain. Even though there's darkness around the candle, focus on the flame. Even though there's darkness around the candle, focus on the flame. Even though there might be fear and doubt, you don't have to be afraid or ashamed. Should you find yourself wounded and bleeding, don't focus on the pain. Even though there's darkness around the candle, focus on the flame. Da 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 ho, don't you know? voices. I guess my brain thought I had earned a good night's rest after all that had happened. <sighs> I sure had. I opened my eyes, and no sooner had I seen the wooden boards of the kitchen ceiling than I thought of Trinia. I rolled onto my elbow to get a glimpse. I couldn't see her from my angle on the floor, but I saw the candlestick on the counter. 
the wax had burned all the way down, and I feared it was an omen of what I might find upon the table. With a good deal of protest from my arm and ribs, I rose from the floor and came to Trinia's side. <sighs> a weight fell from my chest as I watched hers rise. Her eyes were closed, but color had returned to her copper-brown face, and she seemed to be sleeping soundly. Whew! <sighs> I stroked her hair for a moment, but then a grumble in my tumble announced it was well past breakfast time. Neither of us had eaten since lunch the day before, and we'd had quite the slog out of the woods. <sniffs> yep, I needed to find us some food. Which wasn't hard, considering we were in the kitchen. But I didn't want to take things willy-nilly without asking. I leaned over to whisper in Trinia's ear. I'll be right back. And then I shuffled out of the kitchen and into the dining hall. Tarver and Quinn stood behind the bar chopping leeks and potatoes, and throwing them into a large cooking pot. Tarver saw me out of the corner of his eye, and a wide smile spread across his dark face. Bless the stars, she's up. Good to see you again, Ali. Though I'm sorry you've had such a mess of things. Thank you, Tarver. It's good to see you, too. Quinn ignored me, and began to pack the uncut potatoes and leeks back into their sacks. I'll finish this in the back, Dad. Now there's room. I do as you will. Now, come, come, sit down and tell me what happened this time. Killy is still resting after your long night, and I've not had the heart to wake her. You want something to eat? Well, blimey, you must be starving. Quinn took the veggies and pot into the kitchen without paying me a single glance and I sat down at the bar across from Tarver. It was mid-afternoon from the looks of it, and once a small family headed out the door, the dining room was completely empty, save for me and Tarver. Tarver arranged some cheese and fruit atop a trencher of bread, and placed it before me, along with a pint of small ale, and I chowed down like it was my first time trying food. With the barkeep's intuition, Tarver gathered that I wasn't in the mood to talk. He refrained from asking questions, though I could tell he was curious beyond measure about what the brave adventurer had been up to since we'd parted ways. I ate in silence, and thanked Tarver before heading back into the kitchen with food for Trenia. Quinn stood by the spit, stirring the potato leek soup he'd set to boil. Once again, he ignored my existence and remained focused on his work. Trenia was still asleep, and the only sound in the room was the subtle clanking of Quinn's wooden spoon against the cast iron pot. Ugh, it was so uncomfortable. The air in the room felt like kindling waiting to be sparked. I stood by the table for a moment, staring at the trencher in my hand and building up the courage to say something. I set down the food beside Trinia, and after several silent attempts to form words, I asked, Can we talk? Quinn kept his attention on the soup. Quinn, I can see that you're hurting. Your curtains. They're closed again. That elf. You know who she is, don't you? Who she is in connection with you and Laurel? Yes, I know. Then I've nothing to say to you. Quinn clanged his stirring spoon against the rim of the pot, set the spoon on the counter, and made for the door. Quinn, please! She was dying! I didn't know where else to bring her! You have to understand! Quinn was halfway through the door when he whipped around. I have to understand what, exactly? How yet another bloody woman in my life has lied to me? Let me on. Betrayed me. Save it. I understand well enough. He turned to leave again. No, you don't. There's so much you don't know. About me? About Trenia? About Laurel? Maybe some things you do know and you just don't want to admit. But please, let me explain. No. Let me explain something to you. You walk into my house, dragging this woman of all people behind you, knowing she ruined my life. 
knowing you'd be asking me to stay up all night trying to save a person I'd rather see dead. You came here knowing all this, and you did it anyway. To save her life, Quinn! You chose her pain over mine. I chose her life over your discomfort. I am sorry, Quinn. I'm sorry, okay? I recognize that I hurt you, that you feel betrayed and misled, and for that, I am sorry. But do not sit here and pretend you are the only victim in this story. Quinn fell silent. He looked over my shoulder at Trenia, who was still asleep on the table, the mark of Theron's hand glowing on her chest. For a brief flash, Quinn's sinister expression reminded me of Theron when he had given Trenia those marks. Cold. Dark. Deadly. I feared the rage I saw boiling behind Quinn's eyes would turn into physical violence, as it had with Theron, and I felt my own fire roar to life in response, ready to scorch Quinn if he so much as touched me or Trenia. Unlike Theron, however, Quinn had no bow. In lieu of arrows, he drew his tongue. Curse you. A curse on both of you. He turned to leave again, but I grabbed his arm and yanked him back. I stepped towards him until my face was a mere foot from his. Do not. Do not say such a thing until you know what happened. Quinn leaned his face closer to mine, until we were inches apart. I don't care what happened. And then he left. I stood facing the open door, shocked, shaking, furious. It did not project from my chest, and it had not drawn blood. But Quinn's arrow had hit. For quite a while, I stood there, trying to temper the fire that raged throughout my body. It felt like there was a smelter in my gut, spewing forth molten steel, and I felt it creeping up my throat and burning through my fingertips. The heat was so intense, I feared it would consume me if I didn't find a way to release it. I wanted to punch something, to throw something, to strangle something until it popped. I was so angry! Quinn was being so unfair! When I got angry back in Fribbleshire, I liked to go out to the woodpile beside our stables and chop logs into kindling. As my mother would say, You might as well use your mat, Missy. Swinging the axe and splitting something to pieces felt good. It gave my fury a place to go. But I couldn't chop wood now, not with my broken arm. I wanted to scream, but I didn't want to wake Trenia. And though what I really wanted to do was grab Quinn by the collar and shake him until he listened to me, that seemed a poor choice too. With nothing else at my disposal, I grabbed a loaf of bread from the counter, ripped it in half, and threw it on the floor. Then I picked up one of the halves, ripped it in half, and threw it on the floor. I did this over and over again, grunting and seething and ripping and tearing, until I was standing in a sea of crumbs, panting and shaking, letting the waves of rage wash over me. (sighs) When there was no more bread to tear, I pulled up a chair beside Chernia and let my head drop to the table. (sighs) When had everything in life become so difficult? Gradually, my heartbeat slowed, and the fire in my belly cooled to embers. I folded my right arm on the table so that my chin rested in the crook of my elbow, and I stared at the ring on Trenia's hand as it rose and fell slowly upon her chest. The ring. Laurel. The letter. Theron. Theron dead. Theron's smile. Theron dead. No! I wish I knew how to keep those thoughts from getting inside my head! I looked around the room, at anything that could replace the frightful images of the night before. Sprigs of rosemary, hanging from a hook to dry. 
along with motherwort and thyme. The window shutters, slightly ajar to let in a cool, fresh breeze of afternoon air. The sea of crumbs on the wooden floor. A flowered field of vanquished foes. The bubbling soup, frothy pale in the blackened pot, suspended from the spit. The little flares of orange flame that crawled along the ashen logs of the cook fire, which burned steadily and silently beneath the bubbling pot. Trenia's hand, strong and calloused, yet gentle, flat upon her chest. For a while I sat and watched Trenia breathe, and tried to match my breath with hers. She looked so calm, so peaceful. No hint of the previous night's horrors on her proud and rugged face. I was hesitant to wake her. I wished she never had to leave the serenity of slumber, that she could forever swim in the swirling joys of her subconscious, without any mind for the troubles of the tangible world, or the weariness she'd left behind. But if Trenia did not wake to eat and drink, she would indeed find permanent slumber, where dreams of pleasant nature were far from certain. Gently, I reached out, put a hand on her arm, and whispered, Trenia. She didn't stir. I gave her a gentle shake. Trenia, hey, wake up. It's time to eat. After a few moments of prodding and calling, Trenia's eyes opened slowly. She blinked away the heaviness of her dreams, clearly disoriented, and I rose from my seat so she could see me. Hey, hey! Upon recognizing my face, she reached for my hand. Tears welled up in her eyes. It's okay, I'm here, I'm here, just like I promised. Suddenly, her brows furrowed and her grip on my hand tightened, like she was in great pain. Are you okay? Trinia closed her eyes, which forced tears to seep out from the corners, and her chest rose in heated breaths. Trinia! What's wrong? Should I go get Kilia? She shook her head and opened her eyes, and no sooner had I met her gaze than we launched into our elven mind-meld mode. Immediately, I felt as if I had stepped into a bonfire, enveloped by the heat of her heart. As I looked into her eyes, I could feel her regret. Her confusion, her anger, her love, her fear. And as she stared back at me, I knew she could feel mine. Every emotion that was present in our hearts passed between us, like two rivers surging in a shared eternal stream. It was a wild torrent for several minutes, writhing and crashing with the heat of our emotions. And we cried unabashedly, Trenia on the table, me standing beside her. So much had happened. In the last day alone, so many things had changed. And so, we rode the currents together, hand in hand. Gradually, the torrent calmed, and the waters cooled when a deep current of a different emotion rose to the surface. Gratitude. Deep, refreshing gratitude. Neither of us would have been standing there, if not for the other. Despite all else that had happened, despite all the aches and maladies and torments we carried, Despite the horrors of the night before, we'd gotten through them together. We would get through them together. We had each other's backs, no matter what, and that was good and grand and sacred. Thank you, she said. I nodded. Of course. Thank you, she smiled. And then I remembered why I woke her up to begin with. Oh, I, I brought some food. And so, after sweeping up the sea of crumbs, lest someone see them and ask how and why they had gotten there, I fed Trenia bite by bite, like a little bird, as she rested on the table. As she ate, I filled her in about where we were, how no one but Quinn knew about her relationship with Laurel, and how, so far, he was keeping his mouth shut, as far as I could tell. 
I also explained how I had dragged her unconscious out of the woods, and why I'd made the choice to bring her to Harrowdelf, knowing the pain it would stir up for her. If there had been another choice, I would have absolutely preferred it. But given the conditions, I would have done the same. Well, that makes me feel better. But are we safe to stay here? Will your tribe send someone after you again? Should we find some place to hide? Cautiously, Trinia lifted her head to stare at the glowing hand upon her chest and strained to read the intricate runes. Ospalan. What? Trinia let her head fall back on the table. The markings. I am Ospalan now. Dead heart. Dead to the Norvenga. Though my heart still beats. No. They will not come searching. For I no longer exist. Oh my. Whoa, is... Is that what Theron said when he... When he gave you those? No. He said... May you never know peace. Oh. I'm... I'm sorry, Trenia. Don't be. Trenia's expression grew solemn, and her brows resolute. She stared at the ceiling without blinking. I really wanted to ask her how the markings worked. They were magic, certainly, and they looked like the marks I'd seen on Theron's hand the day he stopped me in the woods. Did he transfer his marks to her? Was he magic? Were all elves magic? What would happen if she tried to go back? Would she die? I wanted answers. But I knew Trenia well enough by then to not press the matter when she was in such a mood. So I turned the discussion away from the fact that she had been banished from her family and her homelands and would never go back, never ever, and how the merry existence she'd loved and known in the twinkling woods of Beleth was forfeited when she saved me from an arrow and killed her brother who cursed her and was now dead. You know, that little thing. Naturally, it was in this joyous moment of recollection that Quinn strode back into the kitchen. He ignored us, of course, and went about stirring the soup, rebuilding the fire, and slicing the several loaves of bread I hadn't ripped to pieces. I resumed feeding Trenia, equally determined to ignore Quinn, and made sure Trenia's mouth was continually full, in case she had an uncharacteristic impulse to try and clear the air. But part of me really hoped Quinn was watching us. It hadn't even been a week since he had spoon-fed me when I was broken and helpless and weary. He had cared for me without knowing a single thing about me, other than I needed help. I hoped he could see the hypocrisy in his behavior now, and how unfair he was being by refusing to hear me out. Whether such reflection occurred on his end, I couldn't tell, and I'd continued to stuff bread in Trenia's gob until he left. But Quinn had barely departed before his mother came in to check on her patient. Kilia's eyes looked puffy, as if she too was freshly awake, but she approached the table in great spirits. Ah, you found a bite. That's a good lass, Sally. So caring and helpful, just like my Quinn. Ah, but Trenia, dear, it's good to see you again. Though, of course, I'm sorry as to the reason why. She gestured to the cloth wrapped around Trenia's chest and shoulder. Thank you. Ali told me what you did. I am in your debt. Oh, think nothing of it. You can thank me with some more of your special herbs, if nothing else. Oh, if only harvest festivals came twice a year. Trenia's face grew stern at the mention of herbs and harvest festivals. There would be no more herb picking for her in Beleth, nor would she dance in the streets of Harrowdelf ever again. But Kilia did not mark this shift in her patient and blathered on. Besides, it's an honor to practice my trade, especially on an elf. I've not had the chance before, nor have I met anyone nearby who has. Not too different from us humans, as it turns out. At least you bleed about the same and stitch up just as neat, despite your pointy ears. Now let's hope you heal just as nice, if not better. 
Chernia tolerated Kilia's garrulity with grace as we helped her sit up. The motion clearly wasn't pleasant, but Chernia bore it with little more than a grumble. Kilia unbound Chernia's wounds, cleaned them, applied more oils and herbs, and rebandaged them. Then we helped Trenia off the table and onto her feet. Kilia wrapped her shawl around Trenia's shoulders as a makeshift shirt, and then we walked her out of the kitchen. As it was getting on towards evening, there were several people gathered in the dining hall now, most of them with a pint in their hand, some in a group and some on their own. As I helped Trenia pass the bar and towards the hallway, all conversations hushed, and every head turned towards us. I heard mumblings of, An elf, love! Imagine that! Wounded from the looks of it. Didn't I tell you? It's that adventurer girl again. So it is, goodness me. As we passed by a man staring at Trinia unabashedly, Kilia turned to him and said, Keep to your ale, Willie, or find yourself with an empty mug. The man swiveled away and stared at his hands, and the rest of the room followed suit. We walked Trinia to one of the bedrooms on the ground floor, where we laid her down on a soft, cozy bed and tucked her in proper. I stepped out to gather our effects from the kitchen, avoided all eye contact with Quinn, who was scouring the kitchen table with soap, and returned to find Trenia sound asleep. I set her sword, dusty cloak, and bloody ripped tunic beside my pack, and set about washing myself at the basin provided in the room. Whew, I needed a bath. Pronto. As did my clothes. New as they were, my garments were almost as dirty and bloody as the ones they'd replaced. And Trenia's clothes were even worse. I put laundry on the list of things to sort out tomorrow. For a while, I rested in the bed beside Trenia and tried reading the tales of Galena the Great, but the words brought on another headache. I stretched out in the bed and closed my eyes, hoping that dreams could entertain me until dinner. But weary as I was, I wasn't sleepy. So, after a few moments of deliberation, I decided to let Trenia rest and moseyed back into the dining hall. Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara, and it's good to be back. Before I dive into my unscheduled post-episode ramble, I'd like to thank the song family Earth Practice for their incredible candle song, which called Trenia out of her darkness. Their song medicine can be found on Instagram and on Patreon. Check out Earth Practice and lay back as their goodness washes you like a sweet summer rain. I'd also like to give a shout out to my rainbow unicorn Patreon donors, Dr. Sunshine and Gladys Selsar whose glistening coats and triumphant whinnies stir the hearts of all noble-minded wanderers. Thank you for your support. This project is fully supported by listeners, so if you have found joy and meaning in this tale, consider becoming a patron on patreon.com forward slash alleyodds, or by making a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find more information on alleyodds.com. Now, this episode and the next two episodes were crafted in the onset of COVID-19, and as I'm sure many of you listening have experienced, times are weird. Times are hard. These episodes, though planned out last fall well before COVID hit, were very much informed by what has unfolded in the last several months. So many long-standing systems of oppression and injustice are in death throes right now, lashing out against transformation, incubating fear, and insisting that change is the enemy. My friends, if not for change, we would never see a butterfly. Rivers would be lakes. Oceans would be still. Mountains would not be. Flowers would stay in seed, and the scent of roses would be forgotten. All great beauties in this world arise from one thing growing into another. Let the withered leaves fall. Let the stalks die back and return to earth where they may be reborn. Let us not go on with our lives, but grow on, and plant seeds that nourish all. 
I don't know a single person who hasn't walked through a tunnel of shadow in recent months, who hasn't been forced to examine the deepest wounds of their being, myself included. Ali Odds has been my medicine throughout these challenges. It has helped me reckon with so much complexity and pain. It has helped me tend to my own wounds, and I hope to goodness that it offers you healing too. Whatever wound, whatever ache, whatever pain you are carrying in this moment, know that whatever you are doing to tend to yourself is a miracle. You are enough, exactly as you are. Bloody, sweaty, crying, laughing, exhausted, gassy, grieving, anything and all. I may not know your name. I may never sit beside you and hear your laugh. I may never walk beside you in a golden wood or hear your story. But know that this story, Aliod's, is my love letter to you. I'll hope to see you around the fire for chapter 15, To Tell a Tale. May you be well. <laughs>